Hello, hello, and welcome to Bestiary, a menagerie of true and false tales from voices big and small. This is our first episode. Well, it's the first podcast recording of the second live show of Bestiary, which is Bestiary Volume 2. Unfortunately, I forgot to commit the first Bestiary uh, to an audio format, so which is going to be a fucking mess in the future for actually organising these things, but, you know, I'll sort that out when I come to it. We hope to bring you podcasts on a regular basis, but in the meantime, keep checking back on the Phrase Goblins Facebook page for updates. That's Goblins with a Z or a Z if you're American, because we're super cool. If there's anything I've learned from advertising in the 1990s, it's if you put a Z at the end of something, or the word turbo, it makes it pretty awesome. That's Phrase, P-H-R-A-S-E, and Goblins with G-O-B-L-I-N-Z. So without further ado, let's get into our first story. This is from Rory Coward. Rory is a poet, writer, and farmer living on the outskirts, or I think the outskirts, somewhere outside of Derby, with his first story called Every Dog Has Its Day. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My story tonight is called Every Dog Has Its Day, and it's a tale set from the 1970s, 1976. And in it, I may well um, say things about politicians and fashions which you may not like, and I might even go off on one. So when I do, you're quite willing to shout out, Punctorettes! You can express pleasure or displeasure displeasure using that, and I think I'll be obliged to um, reply to that. So, we have the year of 1976. Not uh, many of us can remember it in this room, but it was like, um, I mean, it's bad actually admitting you're from that era because I'd chucked away the walking stick to come here tonight, to be honest, ladies and gentlemen. And we have a time you can imagine a great big river running into the sea so that when the tide from the sea comes up the river it's a salty side and for me that represents something that as a child I used to abhor flappy flares great big clod-hopping shoes shirts with collars as wide as a Vulcan bomber's wing and great big minging hairy chest wigs hanging out. Sideburns! Ooh! You say punk Tourette's if you like. Sideburns hanging down as almost as almost down to the legs and hair that covered over ears as if as if like they didn't want ears to be out listening to things. Oh God! Get your hair cut! Oh dear. And, and, and from my perspective, because it's very tribal, ladies and gentlemen, when I was a kid, I, I'm a bit more um, open to lots of kinds of music that this day's being much older and frail. But then when young, you went around with the gangs and things. So the river flowing into the sea, when, when the, the, the tide um, goes uh, back to the sea and the, the fresh water of the river comes in, that is my allusion to punk rock, which... Uh, bought a great uh, fresh 
uh, freshness to, to rock and uh, a new fashion. But I must admit that I was a bit of a cheat because I didn't really spike my hair up because I liked a band called The Stranglers and they just wore black and had sh short hair. And, you, and perhaps you could argue that fashion was just as bad as any others. However, so it's 1976, we have... Uh, now my main protagonist is a schoolboy called Daniel who cycles to school every day on a bike that is used to call a ra Rally Olympus that was a racing bike. He goes, his, his mother um, presses his uniform every day. He, he, he tries to, um, uh, he, he cycles to school in his uniform looking very smart. And he's quite, um, a, a, quite a, um, a, look, a forward looking young man because he has handled, uh, he has um, rear view mirrors on his handlebar. So if any cars, come, instead of him wobbling around in the middle of the road, way to get run over, Daniel goes into the side, banging over the uh, drain covers and the gutters and, 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 and the puddles cause it let, to let the, other, let the traffic go past. And probably he's got a bit of um, um, self-preservation instinct there, ladies and gentlemen, because when he's going to school, um, at one part of the journey, there's quite a, quite a steep hill. Then it goes downhill, so he freewheels down. Then he goes round um, a big corner. And then after that, there's a straight bend that leads a few hundred metres to the school where there's a left turning down the school drive. And you might think uh, this might um, piss Daniel off a bit, so riding the gutters and, uh, when it's raining and bang, 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 bang <laughs> on the, the drain covers and sometimes slushing into the, uh, the bits of the curb where it wasn't curb but grass and... And, but he, Daniel manages to keep on his bike because Daniel thinks he's a fighter pilot or a reconnaissance pilot. He thinks, he thinks that all the blades of grass rushing past him are trees as he goes over the Russian Tager on his reconnaissance aircraft to take um, pictures of whatever he's going to take pictures of. And sometimes when he has a lot of bumps in the road, it's a turbulence because he imagines he's at 100 feet flying 800 miles an hour. OK, he's on a push bike. But Daniel thinks he's, um, he's a reconnaissance um, pilot in a fast jet. He, he, it makes him happy and, and, and gets him to school to eventually, you know, the horrible rainy weather. And we have another character in the story who's a metalwork teacher. His name is Gorilla Reeling. And he wears flappy flares. Ah! He wears clod-upping shoes that are so big that sometimes it's a miracle he doesn't crash a car because when he presses um, the control pedal, sometimes it simultaneously touches the clutch, brake, and the accelerator at the same time, causing all kinds of effects. <laughs> and he's a bit, he's a bit of a, um, a narcissist, uh, ladies and gentlemen. He's a show-off. He drives what we used to call a TR7 sports car, a wedge-shaped sports car, um, it painted orange. He wants to show off because really he's, he's, he wants to get off with uh, Miss Clements, the English teacher. But um, he, he likes showing off. And apart from, uh, apart from flappy... Straighten your trousers, Christ. Um, uh, his, his great big um, winged collars from his shirt. Sometimes he's driving along because he likes to be cool. Um, in those days, he's just got a radio cassette player, none of this fancy electronic stuff, and he's pumping out his disco music out. But sometimes, when it's raining, he thinks, oh, I can't get my long hair um, sort of wet. It'll look, you know, he's had it permed before he's come to work. And um, sometimes the collar gets caught in, in the window as he winds it up and um, causes all kinds of control problems in the car as well. And, uh, God, his sideburns. Oh, crikey. 
Uh, uh, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, it's making me feeling sick. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. But punk, don't worry, punk's, punk's uh, uh, coming along to sweep all that away. A great big uh, fresh air of culturalism and, and, and music, although it was rather rude. To, to, to be honest, you know, it's a bit sort of um, what, what you call really sort of in-your-face theatre, only punk rock invented that before they started doing the theatre in the 90s. So, but, and we've got a big problem, ladies and gentlemen, with this teacher, because as well as a narcissist, a big-headed bastard, if ever there was one, and he, fashion sense, oh, Christ, oh, God, he will insist on splashing Danny in the rain, even though Danny's pulled over to the side, he's got a smart uniform, and he gets splashed, and Danny has to keep uh, wearing, uh, sort of taking spare clothes like tracksuits to, to put on at school when he gets to work. It, it isn't fair, ladies and gentlemen. And he gets to school, and his form tutor is gorilla reeling. He says, why aren't you wearing your uniform, boy? Well, because you splashed me. Don't tell tales. I never did such a thing. A lying bastard, ladies and gentlemen, as well as a bully. And, right, I'm going to make you sit in detention and write out 200 times, I must wear my uniform all times. And he's a, oh, God. I really, um, I'm, I've got to tell you this. This is made up from real character. I hated him, ladies and gentlemen. I've got to, this is writer's revenge. It's a real, uh, mind you, bloke's probably dead by now, thank Christ. <laughs> no, that wasn't very fair. I'm sure, sure he had his, I'm sure when he got older, he mellowed and he cut his hair and, and you know, got into decent music and that. I'm sure he's, I'm, sh I'm sure he, he, he didn't get away with all this bull bullying because, I mean, I left school before he stopped being a teacher. So anyway, uh, but also another thing that that that, that really pisses Danny off um, is like he he goes in and, and even if he he's been on a dry day and his uniform hasn't been splashed, a tie out of place, gorilla reeling, straighten your tie, and a guy telling a, a lad this white uniform with fucking flappy flares on, and, and open that collar. I mean, surely he should be a teacher, he should be a bit smarter than that, you know, for the seventies. But no, and and so he's a bit of a hypocrite. So, Danny, Danny goes to Dad and says, it's not fair. This form tutor keeps splashing my bike. I, I pull over in the road to let the traffic pass, and, and he's splashing me, and then he, he's, um, he's bollocking me, giving me lines for doing it. His dad's a bit quiet. See, he's, um, his dad is a, um, a guy who makes um, guidance systems for, for, for missiles, and he's a bit sad because he didn't want to do it with weapons. He, he, he was um, working for a firm called... Um, to Havilland's in the 1960s, and they came up with this um, first stage um, 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 rocket to, to for this European space pro program to to look, you know to to put stuff into space. And the thing is, the British rocket, unlike the the Americans and the Russians, it didn't blow up; it actually worked. So we got this geezer called Harold Wilson, who liked selling uh, raincoats, a uh, prime minister. Uh, reckoned he was so working class, he re retired to silly away from all the miners he claimed to support. Typical politician. And he said, I'm going to thrust Britain into the age of white-hot technology. So when this space programme uh, was nearing um, succession, he just cancelled it. Fuck off. It, it works now. We'll, we'll give, give it to the French so they can build the Ariane rocket. So the Ariane rocket is built from a British space rocket. Just gave it away. And... Um, and Danny's dad's working on this in the Australian desert in Woomera. That's where Danny was born. And he said, oh, shit, I really enjoy working on rockets. We're going to have to find something else. So he works on another British space project called the Black Knight. And, you know, Ben here, he's a brilliant empresario, and I think perhaps he should be knighted, don't you think, ladies and gentlemen? 
Don't you think Ben Knight should be knighted for services to being an empresario in Derby for getting all these events done? Great, 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 great. No, he'll handle it. Puncturettes! Okay, so I forgot my puncturettes. But, uh, um, so, so Frank, Danny's um, dad, he goes on to this uh, project called the Black Knight, which isn't as big as a Blue Street rocket, but it's big enough to get our first satellite, Prospero, into space. Still up there, ladies and gentlemen. And, that was, uh, and when that was going, there was a government by this guy called Honey Monster, Ted Heath. So Harold Wilson was um, a Labour guy, and he was a wanker, and Ted Heath was just as big as a wanker as a Conservative. Shut down the country, got the miners out, and uh, it was, it didn't give the miners what they wanted. Were a, made a right bloody mess. mess. And I, um, but I don't think he wore flappy flares. I think he sort of brogues and shit, but he was still a wanker. Because he shut down the Black Knight project. It put a satellite into space. So it was successful. So we put a satellite into space. Uh, why not um, launch some more satellites into space and develop GPS and all that? No, we'll cancel it just as it works. Great. So all you people working on rockets, perhaps you could get a job stacking supermarket shelves. But they didn't, ladies and gentlemen. They just fucked off across the pond to work for NASA or the American aerospace industry. Because they're, they're, they want to use their brains, don't they? So they buggered off. So anyway, Frank decides not to join them. And he, and he um, decides to work for um, Hawker Sydney Dynamics, who become British Aerospace, working on missile systems. He's a bit sad because, you know, he'd rather work on something peaceful. And this guy's shed, ladies and gentlemen, he's quite a shy man, he's a bit of, he's a, bit of a geek, just like me. And, um, and Daniel's becoming a bit of a, a geek as well, but um, I've got to say, ladies and gentlemen, not when he notice, uh, notices Miss Clement spend down in English lessons, because, of course, ladies used to wear, wear short skirts as a fashion, so Daniel didn't sort of complain about that. Puncturettes! I've got to behave myself, ladies and gentlemen, Puncturettes! Puncturettes! I shouldn't be mentioning short skirts, that's disgusting. Sorry, sorry, out of control, out of control. Anyway, so let's get back to the geek thing. So, so Dan is, uh, um, Dad is a geek, and he's got this garden shed he goes into. He, he, he sees the missus all right, got a good job, got all that, but he, he, he likes working on all sorts of things in his spare time. And he knows it's no point with all the things he's working on, like uh, voice recognition control. You go into this shed, it's a tumble-down wooden shed. You go inside, it's like the, the Star, Starship Enterprise's fucking bridge. It's just lights everywhere. and It's, it's, it's a wonderful world of, God, lights, flashing lights, voice recognition. But he, he knows if he gives this, all this to the British government to develop. They'll just develop it, wait till it works, and then, and then cancel it and give it to another country. So, you know, he just works on several things. And Danny comes into a shed and says, Dad, 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 can't you go to school and complain about this guy gorilla reeling? He says, it's really, it's really messy. But, I mean, I'm trying to uh, tuck into the road to let his sports car pass. He still splashes me. And then he, he tells me off and puts me in detention when I have to change my clothes. His dad's, um, he's not a sort of sort of weak guy such, but he says, well, there's no point talking to a, a guy like that. Is he see, have you seen what clothes he, he wears? He looks like a fucking missing link. He says, <laughs> fucking hair everywhere. Christ, evolution gone wrong, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but he's also a bully. There's lots of nice uh, teachers who used to wear those clothes, so I'm a bit n nasty there. Puncturettes! That's it. Complain. I'm being naughty here. No, you know, tell me off. Puncturettes! Right, okay, so, but anyway, the, um, uh, Danny's dad, Frank, thinks um, over over Christmas um, holiday, he says, can you give me your, your racing bike? I'll make a few modifications to it. And uh, 
And Danny says, what good's that going to do? You know, um, I mean, it's a racing bike. goes fast enough. Can't stop me getting splashed by the, the rain. He says, leave it to me, son, because he's, he's, he's a quiet bloke and he thinks he's got cogs wearing his brain. He says, go, uh, go, go over to Johnny's house. I understand his parents are buying him a racer, so he's got his rally swift uh, push bike with one gear. You can, you can ride that for three weeks to go back to school. So, okay, D Danny does it. First day back at term after, after Christmas, Danny gets his bike. And he, uh, and 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 uh, without giving everything away, I'll just say he has a bit of a word uh, to his dad about it. But he, he he gets on his bike for the first day back to uh, first day of his term, and it's um he's got two brackets either side of the uh, the the right uh, the front wheel, and uh, it's got what looks like two bicycle pumps on it. But he thinks that's not where you put the bicycle pump. It goes under the it goes under the crossbar. The bike says, "What's going to happen if I want to change the tyre?" I wouldn't want to get the pumps from there. And he's got this little black box on the handlebars. But, th but then, before he goes, his dad tells him what it's all about. So he sets off for school, and as usual, January morning, pissing in the rain, horrible. Lucky it's not snowing, ladies and gentlemen. But, I mean, I mean, if it's snowing, you could pretend he's in a fighter aircraft in the snow. That would be a bit difficult. He'd need radar for that to, 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 to get through it. But he's, he's cycling along, and he's uh, going along the road, along the two miles of school, then up the, the slight hill and downhill, gains a bit of speed, going, going around the corner, tucking into the side, checking his mirrors. Then who should turn up by our mate, Gorilla Reeling? His sports, flashy TR7 um, orange-painted sports car. And he's had a bit of work done to it because he wants to impress Miss Clements, uh, ladies and gentlemen. He's had a great big chrome exhaust put on the back. To, I mean, if his, if his car doesn't speak loud enough of, oh, I've got money and, and I'm brilliant, great big chrome exhaust, and it's big. And Danny smiles because he thinks, that's really brilliant. Thank you, Dad. So, but Reeling comes past, splashes Danny, splashes Danny, and, uh, and, and Danny can see him, his evil face laughing. How he can see through the hair and sideburns, I don't know, but he, he manages it. Right. And, 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 and out of his clod upper shoes, uh, well, he must be keeping control of the pedals because he's not pressing them all three simultaneously. Uh, anyway, he's, uh, he's gone past. And uh, on, the, on, the, on one of the bicycle pumps seated, uh, sorry, situated to the right of the, the front wheel, there's been a red light and a green light comes on. And this black box on the handlebars, there's been a red light, green light comes on. And, and Danny says, right, pushes a button. And off this rail springs the bicycle pump. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I don't know if you all ride bikes. Do you know what a bicycle pump looks like? Yeah? yeah. I, I'm not being funny, but some people haven't, haven't, haven't seen a bike. We had to ride them when I was a kid, but great. You're all great cyclists. You're, you're green. You're on your bikes. Front of the bicycle pump, there's a rocket motor in it. Springs it open to its full length. Le leaps off this launcher. Fins come out, and then as it leaps off, um, it ignites another motor in the back. So this bicycle pump is now a missile, and it's heading towards Reeling's car. And Danny's thinking, I hope this bloody works. It's going to make my year. And, 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 and Reeling wouldn't think of ever looking in the rear. Look good for Miss Clement. She's going to love this car, and this is going to get me a date with this fantastic, fantastic chrome exhaust. She's going to love it. He doesn't realise she's more interested in, 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 in punk, but he, he doesn't sort of listen to um, uh, what she says much. You know, you know what I'm saying there, ladies, don't you? <laughs> doesn't bloody listen. You know, just, ha, ha look at me, green peacock. Um, 
Um, and doesn't hear the lady saying, actually, look a prat. Um, but <laughs> so the bicycle pump goes nearer and nearer and nearer to the exhaust, and Reading doesn't know about it. And up comes the school entrance. And Reeling's going a bit faster, and, um, and Danny thinks, shit, will this um, thing reach his exhaust before he turns round left up the school drive? But luckily, Miss Clements turns up in her mini. And although Reeling has got right away to turn left, um, with the only bit of gentleman left in him, God, Christ, <laughs> fucking flappy. Oh, God, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, it's making me sick. Just thinking what is what he used to wear. Oh. And his socks. Oh, I better not even mention them. Right, okay. So, Miss Clements has come out in the mini. He turns right and reeling, makes a fake sort of after you, madam, kind of shit. He's never used madam in his life. It's usually bend over, bitch. <laughs> That's it. Well done, punk Tourette's. I should not be saying the word bitch. Thank you. Keep me corrected, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going out of control. It's not my fault. I can't get a drink. I have to drive from here, so it has to be the Red Bull. So I'm always on a high in there, and I, sh I can't behave normally. So punish me! Oh yeah, punish me. If there's anything you don't like saying, it's punter it. Right. That's my excuse. I'm sticking to it. And so, luckily, this gives a little delay. So uh, Reading slows down his car to turn left. He lets uh, Miss Clements go in and said, "Oh, really? I should have gone in first because she could have, should have, could have seen the exhaust from the back bottle." I'll get out, she's bound to see the exhaust. It's so fucking big. It's, but the, the, the trouble is with this exhaust, ladies and gentlemen, is he had it fitted by the garage, and, and they had a son who was in his form, and he's also been giving their, their son a bit of uh, shit. So they thought, we won't quite screw the exhaust on properly. So um, it's, it's banging about a bit, but he thinks it sounds good. He thinks it's part of the roar of the car. It's actually, it's dangerously close to falling off after it's his first journey. But um, if it wasn't going to fall off then... The bicycle pump missile, that, that, <laughs> right, remember that, it's still, still on its, its way. It slows down, it's got a sense, it slows down to, um, to take in the heat from the exhaust and make sure it gets it, it slows down and then it inches the first part of the bicycle pump in, you know, the bit that comes out. And once that is in, a light sensor, sensors are dark and it ignites another motor in the back which suddenly goes, <laughs> bang, down the, down the bicycle pump goes right down the exhaust right to where it can't get any further and then it snaps together and then there's a 10 second fuse ha 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 and Dan is thinking thank Christ it's a long way away because something's going to go bang here and he's uh, <laughs> cycling he's bloody wet he's, he, he's wet but he's, he's going to have a good day because he's going to see something great <laughs> and, then, and then down the drive goes Gorilla Reading's car He's sick. This, he still thinks it's, it's really, really good. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He hasn't um, heard the clang from the exhaust as the bicycle pumps rammed into it. Suddenly, bang! <laughs> the car backfires. It's a massive backblast through to the engine. The exhaust sort of doesn't quite come off, but it drags along the ground. He thinks, what the fuck's happening? And he gets out of the car. My beautiful exhaust, my sports car. But what the hell, what the hell has happened? And Danny, being the good lad he is, comes cycling up. He's cycling up and says, Mr. Reeling, whatever could the matter be? Oh, crikey, you must, what has happened to your exhaust? And, and, and Reeling, you know, he can't hear him because he's got this hair over his ears and it's like, <laughs> uh, uh, and he's just going mental. And uh, 
Misc, this is a funny part, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll, I'll f finish in a minute, you'll be glad to know, but before I go, do you want to shout, shout punk directs again? <laughs> Thank you, right, keep me in order, keep me in order, keep me behaving while I'm reading the story out. Miss Clements comes up, oh Danny, it was very kind of you to inquire um, how Mr Reeling is, seeing as he's a right bully and I hate you. <laughs> oh Danny, you're wet, I think... I think we'll, I'll take you in, in, into, the, um, into my room and we'll, we'll get you changed. And uh, that's, I'm afraid, where the story I can't tell you any more because... I, yes, that's it, that's it, that's it. And more is punctuates because I'm, this is very bad, uh, ladies and gentlemen, but Miss Clements is 26 or 27 and Danny's still only 14, so... I right, so I, I, I shouldn't really go any further, but you, you, you get the picture. He walks off with uh, Miss Clements and the reeling's there, uh, stood stamping his, uh, stamping his clod up her shoes with his flappy flares all over. And just before I go, why I've got something about flappy flares is because when I was a young lad, they create such a microclimate, all this... <laughs> they're so wide that they create, create a vortex... <laughs> So you've got loads of people walking down the street with flappy flares, and me, you know, like I was only like five foot one or something when I was uh, 14, and he's like, oh, shh, bloody hell, even in the middle of the summer. <laughs> Get some straight trousers! Don't cause an environmental impact! <laughs> so I'll leave my hay to the fashion there because it's very bad of me, uh, and maybe one day somebody would like to take a, um, a sell a story to, to tell their side of fashion from '76. Thank you very much for listening to me, ladies and gentlemen. I hope I haven't been too much out of control. I'll just go off on one uh, occasionally. Thank you for listening. Doctor X. Tourette's. You've just heard from Rory Coward and a surprisingly endearing story about improvised missiles. Now, as a terrifying change in tone, we have Aoife O'Connor. Aoife is a poetic storyteller from Leeds and has the coolest name. Seriously, I used to think it was pronounced or spelt Aoife as an Ethernet, but it's spelt Aoife in the Irish way of A-O-I-F-E. I'm doing a lot of spelling this episode. She's a regular contender in Poetry Slams, which she mentions between her stories here. So here is Aoife O'Connor with heartbreaking rhythm on what could have been. Firstly, it has to be said, I fucking hate flowers. Um, they're literally... They're li <laughs> okay. Yeah. They're traumatising, so I can understand that. So I'm a poet writer, so I kind of tell stories, tell stories through poetry. But this is a story, so, and I'm going to tell two short ones through poetry, and they're real events. I hope you remember them. He is waded in water, drowning his thoughts out, but all thoughts are on him. They are still talking of him in passing. From thought clouds above, praying for him, photographing as water fills his lungs, now he is the unconscious one. He cannot say his name because 
He was too young. And now water in his lungs prevents him from learning it. He's a symbol. His top is red. It eludes a strong, powerful, masculine energy, maybe symbolizing the man he would have become. He is three years old in red. A colour that calls for action, a symbol of crisis, of suffering, of perish, of refugee. Yet he is no longer in the current news. He is a symbol of catastrophe. That was only Western recognised in 2015 because that is when they started to congregate on the doorstep. He washed up leading the way for his people but you covered him and carried him away you carried him in arms he did not recognize but don't worry he is used to arms he does not recognize he doesn't know the names of the guns that led him from his home I mean how do you think he got there did he actually want to be there? I wonder if the little boy whose name most of the media outlets spelt wrong I wonder does he remember? Does he remember the flimsy dinghy that should have carried him and his family to safety? Does he remember the bright future he could have had? Does he remember being swallowed by the sea? I wonder if Alan Kurdy, would you remember his story? Or would you just remember the little Syrian boy who drowned? Thank you. So um, this one has a bit of a story to it about why I wrote it. So I went to okay. <laughs> I went to America in July um, into an international poetry slam to represent the UK. Anyway, um, basically the theme they do themes every year, and this year because they're international, but it's based in America, they thought the theme would be I Too Am American, which we got really pissed about because we're a British team and we're one of the first international teams ever to perform internationally. We made it an international competition. So we were just sat here like, I Too Am American, great, I'm British, I'm not American. Fuck you. So this is like, let's just think about this. There was like Barbados, there was hundreds of teams there from all over the country, world. And we were like, thanks for an inclusive theme. So we actually wrote a piece called We uh, I Too Am British. But this piece is because it was in America and a lot of Americans are very ignorant to British culture and to the fact that they're one of the few countries with guns. Like, I had so many people come up to me going, wait, England doesn't have guns? You mean your police officer doesn't have guns? And we're like, yeah. So we wrote this piece um, as a memorial piece to us to remember about our history, but also to inform America of our history and to inform us of something that a lot of people don't realize. In Britain, we don't talk about our past. Dunblane happened 20 years ago. We ignore its anniversary. We are not able to recognize our history when the grief is self-inflicted, when a native son turns on his own kind. The pain is too much to bear. How can a man of this nation shoot lead from a gun instead of a pencil at a group of innocent infants? The 13th of March, 1996, Dunblane Primary School in a small rural village in Scotland. Thomas Hamilton opened fire in a gymnasium, 16 children and one teacher tied their laces for the last time. And the ones that got away, 
Dragged in by two bullet-ridden teachers into a supply closet, have death scarred on their retinas from a young age. Hamilton. Armed with two semi-automatic 9mm pistols, two 357 revolvers, 743 rounds headed towards Dunblane Primary School. Sixteen children got changed for the last time. They smiled for the last time as a native rat chewed away at telephone lines so no cries of help could be heard. Sixteen children's life didn't flash in front of their eyes because they hadn't lived long enough to know memories are to be treasured or even remembered. Duck Duck Dive from Bullets was a game they weren't familiar with. Instead of losing their teeth, they lost their lives, but instead of seeing the tooth fairy, they saw God, so it's all good, I guess. Never had a first kiss, never held hands in the playground, never played around with love and found hurt behind streams of tears, knees, missed kisses with the ground. School plays will have 16 less starring roles, 16 less items in the show and tell, minus 16 stars on the golden wall. 16 less achievements to award. Five boys will never have the chance to ask a girl to prom or maybe even a guy and never get to land on the other side of puberty and become men. I wonder what color wedding dresses those 60, 11 girls would have chosen. 11 less mothers won't feel the pain of childbirth. Five fathers won't get to hold children for the first time. This is how we mourn our stolen. Because in 1996, this small culling of our population caused public debate, caused public petition, calling for the ban of private handguns. This resulted in an official inquiry, the Cullen Report which made private ownership of handguns illegal in Britain. By 1997, a year later, we achieved this. This is how we mourn our stolen. Thank you. Come gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone and if your breath to you is worth saving then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are a-changing two stories there from ether o'connor you can catch ether as a regular performer at a twisted tongues monthly open mic night at the old bell hotel in derby small plug there because twisted tongues is also in my sphere of spoken word influence in the city next up we have luke owen and scott vinay luke and scott are a couple of good friends of mine who bring a true story of drug foraging shenanigans the audio quality plays up here, so bear with it, because about a minute into a story, I rush over to the sound desk and try to shut off that ghostly reverb in Luke's voice. So here are Luke Owen and Scott Vinay with a two-man tale of kidnapping and intrigue. Hello, hello, hello. These are bright lights. Okay. Enjoyed it so far? That's very good. That's very good. Okay. Let us present to you a story about drugs. 
and violence. Before we start, we just want to say that everything we're about to talk about tonight is completely true and factual. <laughs> like, it genuinely is. That's not part of the story. So, the story begins. We're at our friend Tom's house. It's many years ago. And me and my mate Scott here, we had been looking for a source of LSD. And uh, on this fateful night, I'd found such a source. And I was going to get it tonight. So, you know, however, I don't know this guy. He's a new contact. and never met him before. Could be a shady guy. So, I thought I need some muscle, someone to back me up when I'm there. So, brought Scott along with me, didn't I? <laughs> so, uh, we're walking along. We're walking through Alice Street. And um, some of our... So some of our some of our friends they pull up in a car, and these are people that were that were at Tom's house and they'd heard what was what was going on and they thought you know we're not doing anything else we'll we'll come give you a lift. So I mean I thought there's I might have been a little bit afraid before when there's just kind of two of us, but now there's five of us, nothing can go wrong. <laughs> so we jumped in the car and it's night time and it's really dark and not even like joking there was a thick fog descending over the land. We start, for those of you who know Derby, we were driving down Cuddleston Road, out of Alistair, and towards Quandon. I think this is a little bit odd. This, is, this isn't the direction I thought we'd be going. I thought we'd be going towards town. But, you know, some drug dealers must live in Quandon too, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and then we keep on driving, on through Quandon, into the more rural areas. And I think this is even odder, but... I guess even farmers need drugs. <laughs> so we're driving along, and there's not e this rural place, there's not even any street lights where we're driving. All you can see is what's illuminated by the headlights of the car, okay? And we turn right down this narrow, single-track road, not enough space, only enough space, one car at a time. And I'm just kind of joking around at this point. I'm saying, you know, it's almost as if they're leading us down somewhere where, you know, we can't turn around or escape. <laughs> but... <laughs> Imagine if that was the case. <laughs> so we drive down this road, halfway down it, and we pull up in a little lay-by on the side. And there we wait. <clears throat> for a couple of minutes or so. And then this white windowless van comes rolling up beside us and parks just ahead, about 50 metres or so. And I look to the rest of the members of the car and I go, OK, you know, I spoke to the guy on the phone, I organised this. I'll go up and talk to him then. So Luke gets up and he goes up to the van and he goes up to the side door, which opens when he gets there. And we're, we're all looking from behind the van. So we can, we can see Luke, but we can't see who he's talking to. And I'm talking to this guy. He's crouched down in the van like this, poking his head around this partially open door. And I'm talking to him, trying to sort out the deal and give him the money and all this. And he says, get inside the van. I'm like, I'm not getting inside the van. <laughs> no way. So I was like, no, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to do that really. But uh, that, this point is when the conversation starts to get a little bit heated. And we see a load of hands and fists and feet come out and start hitting him and kicking him. And I'm panicking, hitting back, trying to escape, but I can't because there's one hand that's grabbed my shirt and he's pulling me in. So at this point, I, I get out of the car, me and another friend, we get out and we say... Yeah, we've got, to, we've got to run up, we've got to go help him, we've got to see what's going on. Um, and some people are saying, no, 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 get, get back in the car, we'll go drive up, like we're better if we're in a vehicle, all this kind of stuff, we're just arguing, we don't know what to do. 
And while they're deliberating on how best to help me, I'm still in this full-fledged fist fight trying to escape. <laughs> Only in like a fight of my life. And anyway, this door fully opens about the van and all these men, balaclavas, jump out, grab my legs, grab my arms and throw me into the van, which then starts driving down the road. <laughs> so at this point, we all quite understandably lose our fucking minds. <laughs> What is going on? Why have they kidnapped Luke? What do they want with him? What the hell's going on? But while it's going on, we're, we're interrupted by a sound. And we look forwards down the road, and we see Luke running back down the road, shouting, Drive, 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 drive! I get back into the car in the back seat. Luke reaches the car, dives in. He grabs my mate, who's still standing outside, pulls him onto his lap, and slams the door. And we say, Luke, what happened out there? But he just won't stop shouting, Drive, 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 drive! So we think, okay, we'd probably better do what he says here. <laughs> so we turn around in a really elegant five-point turn. Start, start heading back the way we came. And we can all see out the car window at the back, a guy pacing towards the car with what appears to be a pistol in his hands. But we don't stand around to hang around to find out. We just drive down. We just drive off. So we're, we're, we're starting back the way we came. And we're starting to get, you know, feel a little bit better because we're on the move. And at this point, we, we turn to Luke and we say, OK, what, what happened in that van? <laughs> I'm adrenaline still pumping. I'm breathing really heavy. And I'm like, OK, right, guys. After they threw me into the van, I felt the van drive off underneath me. And they all got in, and I'm looking around, and I'm surrounded by his men wearing balaclavas, holding guns, and I'm in complete terror. I don't know why they want me. I don't know what they're going to do with me. All I know is that I've got to get out. I've got to escape. So in this adrenaline-fueled rampage, I just start hitting everyone I can see in my arm's reach, grabbing, scrambling, grabbing anything I could. I get to the back door of the van, tried the handle, thank God it swung open, jumped out of the van while it was still moving and headed back to the car. So, <laughs> so you know, we're like, bloody hell, you know, thank, thank God you're safe. And then, and then a thought occurs to me. I turn to Luke and I say, what do you mean you grabbed anything you could? Well, in my panic and in my scramble to get out of the van, I just accidentally grabbed this. And he lifts up a brick of what looks like maybe 20,000 pounds worth of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> and throws it onto the dashboard. So I say, okay, okay. This is possibly the worst thing you could have done. <laughs> our, situation, our situation before was quite bad, but now we are literally all going to be hunted down and murdered by armed gangsters. So we deliberate what to do with it. Do we turn around and hand it back? <laughs> Maybe we can hand it into the police. Uh, we thought about possibly throwing it out the window, but then what if they caught us and we didn't have it? <laughs> so, no um, available options, really. Yeah, and while these guys were, you know, so carefully debating what to do, 
Uh, I couldn't help but notice we were going at a pretty steady 30 miles an hour. Um, I, was just, I was a little bit concerned that the people behind us wouldn't be quite so mindful of the local traffic laws. Um, so I'm, at this point, I'm going crazy saying, please, please, speed up a bit. Yeah, the driver didn't want a ticket for some reason. Well, actually, it seems quite reasonable because you don't want to go to, you don't want to get caught for a mild traffic violation and then get life imprisonment for drug smuggling. So we, uh, we eventually we get back to our street um, and we stop the car. At this point, I get out of the car and I say, it's, it's been a fun evening, guys, but I think I kind of want to be as far away from this vehicle as possible. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk home the rest of the way. So they drive off, and I'm pacing around. I, I don't know what to do. I, I go to my girlfriend's to talk to her, but she's not in. So I'm just I'm kind of walking around and pacing around Al Street, just trying to come to terms with the fact that I've got a price on my head. I don't know what to do. Um, so eventually, I just I decide to head home. Um, and I'm walking home. I'm walking home, and I get to near my house, and from around the corner. I see this white windowless van. It's coming towards me. And obviously I can't be sure it's the same van. There's a lot of vans that fit that description. But at the same time, I'm keeping my eye on it. And it goes, it goes just past me. And it stops. So at this point, I know that I'm a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> I start sprinting off down the road. And I hear a voice behind me. <laughs> shouting my name. And I turn around, and it's Tom, whose house we were at, at the beginning. And I leap out of the van and go, surprise! <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out the entire thing was an outrageous and elaborate prank. <laughs> they hired a van, they hired replica guns. <laughs> but everyone, including me, was in on the whole thing in an attempt to prank and potentially traumatise our dear friend Scott. <laughs> so that's a story about how we failed to buy LSD. Thank you. <laughs> you know the day destroys the night. Night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide. Break on through to the other side. You've just heard from Luke Owen and Scott Vinay, a story I've heard many times from many different people in our circle of friends. It's the first time I've actually heard it from a pranky himself that time, that poor man. Now for our final story of the podcast and the final one of the live show. Tales from the Fireside are a three-man performance storytelling group from Nottingham, missing one man at the time of this performance. They performed at the very first bestiary and I was excited to have them back for the second. Once again, the sound quality may be temperamental as they moved away from the mics quite often, but it's still audible enough. So, with our final story, this is Tales from the Fireside with St. George and the Dragon. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, but that sounds far too formal. 
So I'll say to you, welcome, children of all ages, <laughs> to our telling of an old classic, The Dragon and St. George. Now, the thing about dragons is, not many about now, in fact, none. They all died when Thatcher went. <laughs> but of course, that's just a personal opinion. And you know what opinions are like? Arseholes. Everybody's got one! <laughs> but back to my story. Dragons. What astonishing, wondrous creatures they must have been. <laughs> part lizard, part crocodile, with a bit of lion, hawk, and eagle thrown in for good measure. And they could fly! They could leap into the air and fly! Which must have been a most amazing feat when you imagine how heavy they were with all those scales. But not only could they fly, but they could also run at great speed. Not that any dragon would ever run away. No, no. Because dragons were generally very brave and noble creatures. <laughs> Not only noble and great, but they also had an ability when they got disturbed in any way that they would breathe smoke from their nostrils, it would hiss out. And when they got really angry, when they got really angry, then fire would belch forth from their mouths and would certainly give everybody in here an Africa. <laughs> no, dragons. The thing about dragons is as well, is that there's none about now generally accepted that they've gone on account of all the many heroes and knights that rode, and meatheads, that rode about the place killing them off thoughtlessly. Only the Chinese really knew their dragons, and they loved them. It was said that many of the greatest emperors that ever lived had been born the sons of dragons. Dragons, their teeth, their claws, their scales were used in medicine to cure all sorts of ailments. A dragon guarded the house of the Chinese gods and would bring rain to the plains when it was needed to nourish the crops. And even to this day, the Chinese still fly dragon kites and paper dragons adorn their New Year celebrations. Yes, the Chinese admired their dragons. Now, in 4th century Palestine, where our story is set, dragons were more feared than admired. And it's true, they did have some rather unsettling habits. They tended to live in dank, dark and nasty caves, often guarding a huge pile of jewellery and treasure that had invariably been stolen from somebody else. <laughs> and of course, they had a lot of bad press. It was rumoured that they had a taste for human flesh. Princesses being their dish of choice. But any young person would do. <laughs> yes, the thing about the dragon was, it received so much bad press. Everybody feared the dragon. They got 
an immense amount of bad publicity. They got an immense amount of bad publicity. Yes, they certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> and who are you? Oh, me? I'm, I'm nobody. Saint. 
Do you know, I'm glad to hear this because I always knew the British were welcoming. People might travel halfway around the world to avoid all sorts of problems and fierce fighting in their home countries, but at least we look after them when they arrive. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, just to recap, George, the famous dragon slayer... Yeah, not called Saint. I mean, his mum wanted to call him Saint. That's a bloody silly name for anybody. It is for really. a child, yes. Yeah, it is. But he didn't actually, he didn't actually kill any dragons. No. He didn't actually chase any dragons away. Mm, well, he did save a newt and put it into a pond. Yeah. So he never really met a dragon. No. Well, on that bombshell, <laughs> let us continue with our story. Oh, right, OK. Now, George, Sir George, Saint George, was born in 4th century Palestine in a little town called Sleen, which is better known today by the name of the city it became, Beirut, which, as you well know, is twinned with Derby due to similarities in the architecture. <laughs> and I'm going to transport you there now, back in time to the 4th century, back through the gates of the town, past the walls, to the king's palace, the castle in the centre, down into the centre of the castle, to the king's chambers, where we find the king, one Donaldus Trumpus, <laughs> and his faithful servant, Farage. <laughs> Gove! Gove, where are you, you imbecile? Gove! I mean, you can't trust anybody, Randy. Gove, where are you, you nincompoop? Come here, I want you this minute. Come here, Gove. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wondrous one, may I help? Where so, is Gove? Ah, yes, Gove. Well, I'm afraid Gove is no longer with us, sire. What do you mean, he's dead? No, no, sire. You remember you hit him on the head after a slight altercation? Well, uh, he joined the Tory party as a result, and he's now working on a new project called Brexit. Well, that's a bloody <laughs> stupid sort of thing to do. Uh, yes, it uh, is, yes. Well, who are you then? I am your new personal advisor, uh -huh. assistant and gopher. My name is Farage. Garage? That's no, no, a that's bloody it. silly name. Sir, sir, yes. Yes, very close, sir. <laughs> but it's, it's not... It's more intonation. Farage. That's what I say. Garage. That's bloody sir. silly name. <laughs> You're always right, Your Excellency. Farage. OK, Garage, but I want you to do something for me. Ah, uh, your wish, sir? The peasants are revolting. Oh, yes, I was a number 47 from the town centre yesterday. They really are revolting. <laughs> yes, yes, And of course, is. they are very upset by this dragon thing, sir. Dragon? Oh, forget about the dragon. Uh, <laughs> no, the dragon no. has set up residence in a cave not far from the town centre. Will the you people are very upset. Will you stick to the point? The point is this. My... Subjects, the peasants, yes, are revolting. They're arguing and they're standing in the way. They seem very cross just because I want to frack underneath their houses and get some gas, and I want to build an oil pipeline across their water supply. 
They're always standing in the way of progress, these peasants. They don't appreciate wealth creation. Their wealth, sir? No, mind, you blithering idiot. <laughs> well, look, sir, I understand progress must take place, but... Yes, well, I want you to get my armies together, because I'm going to wage war on them, and I'm going to show them a jolly good lesson. Oh, yes, sir, that's such a wonderful idea, sir, and you are, as always, all right. However, there's a slight problem. Um, you can't wage war on the peasant side. There's a small, a small consideration of tax receipts. Hey, I'm the king. I can do what I like, can't I? Oh, you can, sir. You're almighty. However, the peasants pay the taxes that so? keep the palace, that keep you in grapes, and that keep <laughs> you in wonderful clothes, sire. What do you mean? You telling me that the peasants pay for all this? Oh, um, yes, sire, they pay them. We bleed them dry. I thought it was all mine. It is all yours, but they give us the money. No, no, sire, you can't wage war on the peasants. We need them to provide us with money. Hmm. But, uh, you know, I mentioned the dragon earlier on. I have a suggestion, sire, that I know you will have thought of already. Of course. Yes, what? <laughs> Maybe we could use this dragon thing to distract the population. Ah, so I can wage war on the dragon? Yes, yeah, well, sort of, sire. You can frack under their houses while they're worried about the dragon, but actually we want to encourage the dragon to stay. Do we? Oh, yes, sire. Oh. If the dragon is here worrying everybody, then they will be distracted from your fracking plans. <laughs> uh, fracking the plans. And, uh... Well, as long as the dragon stays here, they'll be concentrating on that and not on your wealth creation, sire. Hmm, what a splendid idea. Uh, you're I on fire, that. sire, you're on fire. Yes, I don't know where I get these ideas. No, <laughs> neither do I, sire. <laughs> yes, uh, right, so uh, we want the dragon to hang around and... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, well, maybe we could, we could feed it, sire. Oh! Ah, oh, I've got a good idea. We'll feed it. Oh, wonderful, sire. <laughs> you really are on fire. I am, aren't I? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a genius, really. Yeah. Quite, Yes. We well, could feed it, sire. Feed it so it won't go away. Oh, grand idea. Tell people so, you're waging a war, but feed it. Keep I it shall here. feed it. I shall feed it. I shall, shall, I shall, um, what am I going to feed it? Well, sire, the food of choice is... Uh, Princesses. No! We only have one princess, that's Princess Lovely. And she is my daughter and she's staying here. Uh, no, think of something else. As you decree, sir. Well, maybe we could, uh, we could feed it sheep. Sheep? My sheep? Oh, no, sire. The people's sheep. Ah, that's all right. That's better, yes, yes. So, feed it the people's sheep, yes. yes. feed them maybe two a day, and it'll keep two it happy. Yes, it'll two. stay fat yes. and stay where it is. Oh. And you can get on with your <coughs> fracking. Oh, that sounds like a splendid idea. Feed it sheep. Yes, the peasant's sheep. Not mine. And, uh... Keep it happy and it'll hang around and... Yes, that's a really good idea. Yes, sire, See not, to it, Garage. It's not your job to suffer, sire. It's the peasants. Oh, uh, quite right. Quite I will right, indeed. I, right. I have to go now anyway, sire. I have a, I have a meeting with another of your advisers, uh, the uh, Mr. Boris Johnson. The Who? <laughs> Boris Johnson, the Minister of Buffoonery, sire. No, <laughs> never heard of the fellow. Uh, I think what you're trying to say is twat, sire. <laughs> 
No, he's got... He, I, I will go and make arrangements. He wants to increase the empire. My empire? Uh, no, I am his. Bye! <laughs> and so it was done. Each day, two sheep, two sheep were taken out of the town, through the walls, and up to the dragon's lair, just a mile away. And each day, the dragon took two more sheep, until, after a few months, there were no sheep left in the kingdom. You're interrupted oh. by Tai Chi. <laughs> oh, my worthiness, I, I have a, I have a slight issue to raise before your eyes. I'm afraid you know the dragon problem, sir. Uh, have we got a dragon problem? No, we're feeding it, but we've run out of sheep. Uh, well, feed it some more sheep then. <laughs> yes, I had it. I'm afraid there are no sheep left. The sheep are finito. The sheep have fallen off the perch. They're all dead. They're all dogs. <laughs> all the sheep have disappeared. There are no sheep in the kingdom. They're finito. There are no sheep, sire. No sheep left. The people are very upset. All their sheep have gone, sire. Are you telling me we've got no sheep? <laughs> How you put your finger on the point of it, sire. Yeah. There are no sheep left. They've all been taken to the dragon. Hey. They have none left. Well, we must feed it or it'll go away, sire. Well, feed it something else, then. Well, their um, food of choice is um, princesses. No! We've been through this garage. Princess Lovely stays here. She is the only princess we've got, and she is my daughter, and she's staying right here. She is not going to be fed to any dragon. Yeah. Do I make myself clear? Yeah, extremely clear, sire. Good. Um, maybe we could feed it... Um, how about children, sire? Children? Whose children? Oh, the peasants' children. Ah, poor people's children. Yes, it'll have a dual effect. Not only will we get rid of all those screaming children, but we'll not be able to pay any child tax credits anymore. <laughs> that sounds like a splendid idea. You're on fire, sire. What a plan. I am, yes, oh. yes, yes. Uh, right, so, uh, yes. Uh, Maybe uh, we can hold a, a lottery, sire. Lottery? That's a jolly good Every idea. week we can pull a number out of a hat, and that number will correspond to a child. Splendid idea! Splendid! Take it away to the dragon. Excellent! See to it, Garage! As you decree, sire. And so it was done. After a few months, though, of children being taken up to the dragon, one a week, a dozen or more had disappeared. An atmosphere had descended upon the town. People were very scared and worried. This dragon was out of control, and no matter what they did, it didn't go away. They had sacrificed many children to the dragon. And it was into this atmosphere of foreboding that <coughs> St. George arrived. And when he came into the town, it was on a Tuesday. An atmosphere had settled everywhere. <laughs> And in fact, you wouldn't have known there was more life in the tramp's vest than there was in the town. <laughs> and you would not have known the difference between the town and a cemetery. Every Tuesday, 
the same routine would occur. First of all, a bell would ring. And then there would be the clump of soldiers' shoes on the cobbled streets. And then a knock on somebody's door. I didn't hear that, sire. And a great cry would split the air. And the screaming offspring of some family would be taken away by the soldiers. And it was into this that St. George arrived. And when he found out what was happening, he held his head in shame and astonishment at the stupidity of these people. And he decided straight away that he had to do something. And so he made his way to the king's chambers deep within the castle. And as he arrived at the king's throne room, he stopped as he overheard a conversation. No, 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 no! It must not be! It must not be! Garage, where are you? Come here, you fool! You must stop it this instant! Sire! <laughs> I am here, sire! Good! Well, you've got to stop it! I'm sorry, sire. It has been done, and you, you decreed that it was to happen. You said no exception, sire. Then, one exception. Princess Lovely is my daughter and a royal princess. She was the exception. Yes, sire, but she took a ticket, sire. She wanted to be like all the other children. But she's not like all the other children. I she know. is a princess. Go and send soldiers after her. Bring her back. Yes, sir. I'm afraid nothing can be done. She was taken from the town walls but an hour ago. She will now be tied to a stake outside the dragon's lair, sire. Send some soldiers and have the ones that took her out there executed. Blow! I'm surrounded by nincompoops and bloody idiots. Ha -ha. Who thought of this? Ha ha! Go, sir. I'm rant, 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 rant. On hearing this, St. George knew that he had to do something. This was his chance for adventure. And so, taking his trusty steed, <laughs> he decided to leave without any delay or introductions and ride straight to the dragon's lair, where he would confront the dragon and save the princess. Hi-ho, Silver! Afternoon, 
but I'm deprived of it by idiots. <laughs> and who are you? Ah, uh, uh, well, uh, yes. Uh, hello, uh, uh, good uh, uh, dragon fellow. Um, uh, I'm uh, I'm Saint George, uh, a brave knight and um, adventurer. Uh, I must say, you're a lot smaller than I imagined. Speak for yourself. No. <laughs> well, look, you've been a very, very naughty dragon. What? Yes, you, you naughty dragon. Don't you know it's wrong to go around eating people? What? You naughty, that, naughty, that, naughty dragon. That's Why? I'm sure. overcome with rage. I'm going to stick this right up your jacksy. Come here. No, you're not. Come here. <laughs> Come here now. Bankers to defraud them, 
Austerity to keep them in line. And Brexit to <coughs> occupy their minds. Well, I don't know anything about that. But as far as I'm concerned, they seem all right. They form themselves into an anarcho-syndicalist commune. <laughs> and they seem quite happy with things the way they are. Well, that's incredible. Do you know, that's the kind of cause I can get behind. Do you mean these people are just living as equals? Yes. In a fair society? Yes. Without any worries or cares about yes. oppression? Yes. Now that's something I can get behind. And they love their planet and the environment. Yes, yes. This is wonderful. Yes. I don't need this anymore. Uh, what I need is to go and... I, I think this is my calling. I can become, well, not just a warrior, but an eco-warrior. Yeah. I can go back <laughs> to the town. I can tell them what has happened. I can spread the word. Everybody can be free. Yes. They can be free. Yes. They don't have to be pressed. Let's do it. And then you can all bugger off so I can sleep. <laughs> As you wish. Yes. Anyway, you're the, you're the narrator. I am indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and so, it came to pass. St George became a narrator. He spread the word. He had a message. And everybody moved to Nottingham <laughs> and had a wonderful time. But you may be asking, what happened to Donaldus Trumpus? And what king happened Donaldus Trumpus. the king and his trusty advisor, Farage? Well, Donald <coughs> stayed in the castle. And he was very happy because he managed to build quite a number of walls around himself. <laughs> it wasn't all wall, he'd had some fence in there as well. And Farage, well, he became Donald's ambassador to the world. And that's how they lived happily ever after. In fact, it was one of those stories where everybody lived happily ever after. Yes, but there is a moral. Because we are a pair of moralizers. And we like to give people morals with our stories, and this is it. The people of the town were terrified, but they were terrified not of something they knew, but of something they'd been told to be terrified of. And when they found out the truth, they discovered it wasn't quite so scary after all. So, this is the moral. If you find yourself being frightened by something, ask yourself, if you're frightened of it because you've been told to be frightened of it, and whether you've investigated it. Because if you do, you'll probably find it's not as scary as you thought. Think for yourself. Well, I'm certainly going to think for myself. Who's following me to Nottingham? Come on! <laughs> some applause for the supporting act that helped me with my uh, singular performance this evening, uh, Strider. <laughs> and, uh, Dumbledore, where is he? Well, in the essence of the season, he's behind you! Is he? Yes. You can, oh. pro you can probably feel his hand. I uh, know you've got a smile on your face. Yeah. <laughs> You keep your hands where I can see them, son. <laughs> All right. 
and Dumbledore, and I have been Sparks, alias Smaug, or whatever other. What was the other name? Scorch. Scorch. <laughs> and I thank you all very much. Gladily the Yule, which is Danish for Happy Yule. So, and blessings to you all. Night, night. Thank you. And that was Tales from the Fireside and our final story of the show. Boo! I know, I know. But we'll be back in January with another live show and another podcast recording. Unfortunately, there were a couple of stories that were cut from the show due to technical errors, but they'll live on in the hearts and minds of the attendees at the live show. If you have a story you'd like to tell, true or false, anecdotal or fantastical, get in touch with us on the Phrase Goblins page. Yeah, yeah, my voice, I'm a mess. Get in touch with us on the Phrase Goblins page. Be as raw and honest as you like. I'll just tell a tall tale. Now I'm just going to spend the rest of the day being hungover and playing No Man's Sky. See ya! Phrase Goblins.